it's an 87th Precinct bonus episode. We have come off the back of discussing the 28th 87th Precinct book, Hail to the Chief, McBain's friendly little look at the world of Richard Milhouse Nixon as seen through the notion of gangs in Isola. And I'm sure you enjoyed that <laughs> that discussion in our main episode, and I'm sure you weren't absolutely horrified by our terrible, terrible knowledge of the events of uh, American political history. We're so sorry. We're yeah. so very sorry. If you've got any complaints, then please send them to uh, the White House. It seems fair enough, oh. I think. We've got enough politics to deal with in in our absolute day-to-day business without trying to keep track of everything that happened in the past as well. Although some would say perhaps keeping track of things in the past might have helped us avoid some of the things that are going on now. As we know, the only thing you ever learn from history is that we never learn from history. Definitely. Yep. So, what we'll do in our bonus episodes, we usually do, is I've got a little bit of a quiz element to this. And we'll have a look at some book covers and we'll talk about fantasy casting of a specific character from the series. Thank you for your contributions for that, everyone. So before we get on to anything else, we're going to have a look at the original book covers of Hail to the Chief as they were published in America and the UK. So I'm I'm revealing for my panel of experts. Oh, that's the same as yours, Paul. Yeah, it is. So that's the American one there. Mm -hmm. We have the Random House hardback cover, which is the back of someone wearing a denim jacket with the gang. Uh, logo on it and but the name of the book written upon yeah, it yeah quite like those two that top one's awful isn't it <laughs> the signet edition it's like it's like a road safety book <laughs> like a hail to the chief of the RAC or something the AAA uh, it, it, it's definitely a case of an artist being given the first page to read and then just basing the cover on that isn't it yeah, I think I quite like it but it, it is yeah, the signet editions were all done as painted covers, and it was much more harking back to a pulpy sort of style of definitely yeah. uh, of art direction than the other ones, which are a which bit is, more interesting. Yeah, yeah I like the ones with the jackets. Yeah, so the British hardback edition appears to have um, Joey Ramone brandishing a bottle on it. Does look like a Ramones fan, definitely. Thumb in a cab. I looked the first time I looked at it. I thought he was holding a lot like a turkey drumstick <laughs> <laughs> with a big bite taken out of it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, or possibly a small corner of chips. Perhaps he just opened the first KFC in Preston and he's just like <laughs> just been just. Yeah, they probably opened that round, 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 round. Well, they did open the first Pizza Hut in the UK in 1973. I don't know if that's of any interest to anyone. Well, if, if you, if Islington, I believe. Pre- Preston, Lancashire, UK's first. Uh, uh, KFC. Uh, absolutely brought over by uh, Ray Allen, who yeah was the UK sure ambassador for KFC, and then started his own chain of uh, chicken shops, Allen's Fried Chicken. Very good. Uh, one day I'll get that sponsorship deal. Yeah. <laughs> 19, 1965. It's in the same unit as well. Right, true story. <laughs> I know. I've been to that KFC. And then we have the the British paperback edition, which is the pan edition, which features a hand reaching up as though from the ground, pulling down a Confederate flag to reveal the name, Hail to the Chief. Indeed. And that is the edition I've got. It is, So yeah. that's, mine's the 1975 first paperback edition, although I have got the second printing from 1976. Hmm. And it is, to everyone's joy, a D. Llewellyn Hodge Aww. edition. 
Good old so, Llewellyn Hodge. I keep saying I'll share this, but I must actually share a picture of the D. Llewellyn mm. Hodge ex Libris page. That's pretty cool. Mine's one of my best condition ones. This. Yeah, well, it's describe your one, Steve. Very, right? I don't know. I suspect I'm the only person to ever read this, even though it is the 1979 third printing of the 1975 edition mm. by Pam. There's like a bit of a graffitied. Uh, yeah, because there's a bit in the book about graffitied buildings and their little tags, and this yeah, is yeah as uh, they get into the Puerto Rican this section. Is, this yeah. is recreating some of those. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Quite yeah. colourful, isn't it? It is quite colourful. Yeah, it's got the nice gold stripe McBain uh, logo that yeah, I like. Yeah, it has the hail to the chief text underneath. And Morgan has got again a pan edition, isn't it? Yeah, it is again, but a, a, another different cover. Uh, annoyingly, mine doesn't tell me which printing it is. It just mm. says this edition published nineteen seventy five, but this is clearly not the nineteen seventy five one. Mm. So uh, it's sometime in the eighties. It's got the looks barcode like, and looks like you've done it. You just made it yourself. <laughs> yeah. A lot of clip little, art there. Little, uh, <laughs> tra- ne- craft project. Yeah, I've never seen another of that ilk. Oh, it's a Colin Thomas photograph on the front. Yeah, so two switchblades, six bullets, and a couple of streaks of paint. Yeah, it it, it sort of made into some kind of tribal sort of totem kind of thing, I I guess is what they're aiming for. Yeah. Um, It's a bit peculiar. And and the McBain logo in a kind of typewriter type font. Yeah, so it's been a while since we've all had a different edition of the Mm. uh, pan paperbacks. I'll put pictures of those up on uh, the Instagram for you all to uh, look at. I don't know uh, what what what's going to happen with them huffing wise. Oh yeah, have you, do you want to do an ass- assessment? Mine's odourless, pretty much. Well, he's also in good nick though, it isn't is. it? Ooh, that smells, <laughs> smells really interesting. That you huffed yours. Oh, is it even I can like detect a little oh, bit Morgan of that. Wins that yours is fairly. Who would have thought the newest edition? It's probably poisonous. No, oh, possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. Um, the aroma of 1983. Marie, Marie, who formerly owned it, has done to it. Uh, it's made it very fragrant. Well, she's not written as elaborately in the front as D. Llewellyn Hodge has oh, in mine. She certainly anyway. hasn't. Nobody, nobody's written in this. There isn't even a price in it. No. Mine cost a pound. As did mine. So, I don't know how much mine cost. I would have got it on the internet at the time. I think I was eBaying most of these. Yeah, because you just couldn't quite source them quick enough. No, <laughs> no, you'd, you'd sometimes come across like a like a, a seam of them in a bookshop, <laughs> yeah. and you'd, you'd go through another six, seven bookshops and not see a single one. Yeah, I yeah. think because I read them in order, I was, I was stockpiling the later ones, but you'd reach a a breaking point where you were like, oh, I'm gonna have to get them in from the uh, interwet. Yeah, interwet. Well, <laughs> interwet. <laughs> interwet. Inter- that's what we used to have, wasn't it? <laughs> Into wet. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible, that. <laughs> terrible damp computer. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to have to go into wet in a minute. Oh, no. If it's raining. That's, yeah, going swimming. That's what you say in Yorkshire, isn't it? <laughs> Get into wet, lad. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. I think it's time to move on from this uh, daft lad nonsense. You could be right. So... Quizzes is quizzes is quizzes is so there was two books in 1973 and when that happens our second quiz is usually around Christmas things so even though the book came out in September October we like to focus in at the end of the year 
What, but what we could do as a broader thing, we didn't do this last time out, is the best-selling albums of 1973. Because we didn't Dark, do that. Dark last. Side of the Moon. Yes, it was. Dark Side of the Moon. I reckon that's the first time you've had an album like that as the bestseller. It wasn't the best-selling album of 73, Well, though. a best-seller. Yeah. Because there's always um, stuff you've never heard of. Or uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Probably. Yes. Guess um, what? Simon and Garfunkel's in there as well. Well, marvellous. Greatest hits. Greatest hits, of course. Everyone yeah. had that. Yep. Did the Eagles release their, like, best of around then? Maybe a little was, bit later, mm, but... Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. It was more a like sort of 75-ish, yeah. yeah. Any Zeppelin? Not in the top 10 most popular albums or best-selling albums. See, that seems... Did they, did they have a record in 73? I'll lose track of what years those came out. Yeah, Zeppelin 3, Matt. Zeppelin I was wondering. Was 77. Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't think they would have sold on the scale of these top 10 albums. I think they sold a lot and they kept selling, mm. but I don't think they sold on the mm. scale of yeah, these Yeah, sometimes but... you're a bit skewed by what's happened in... By the... legacy the, over... Yeah, yeah absolutely, over it's true. The reality Wings. Of was there a Wings album? There wasn't a Wings album, in, in certainly not in the top 10 selling albums. Sad times. There were two Beatles albums, though. 1973. Ah. Oh, the red, red one blue. and the blue one. Yeah, the red and the blue album, which I, to this day, refuse to acknowledge. <laughs> So many people had the Red and the Blue Beatles compilations yeah. as their touchstone for what the Beatles was about, and I never did. I just mm. got the Beatles albums, uh, eventually. I just got Rock and Roll Music Volume 1 and 2. Yeah, well, so did I. <laughs> I had those before I'd got my full set of Beatles things, but yeah. I, I only belatedly got a copy of um, the Blue one, and then my cat jumped on the record player while it was playing, so it's got a big scratch over one of the, the discs, which is great. Oh, do you remember what was playing? At the time? Um, I, I can't. I, I really can't. It was something off the White Album, but I can't remember what. Mm. Well, there you go. But anyway, both of those were <laughs> in, in in the best bestseller things. Perhaps it was Revolution, uh, <laughs> and the cat uh, revolted. Well, I'll, uh, <laughs> possibly, I'll show yeah. you a revolution. Yeah, <laughs> there are some big names in the top ten. Mm. I mean, we've got so you've got at least four of them so far: two Beatles, Pink Floyd, and Simon and Garfunkel. Um, two big. British names in there. So, solo acts or groups? The who? Solo acts. Solo oh, acts. solo. Elton John. Elton John. Go, um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Road. Don't shoot me, I'm only the piano oh, player. Right, okay. Was that before or after? Before, possibly. Oh. I don't know. I that don't... was the biggest selling album of 73. Mm. Wow. Who else was 73? Bowie. Bowie. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, are we... Ziggy or are we Lad Insane? A Lad Insane. Okay. And you're never going to get the other one because the fifth best-selling album of 1973 was We Can Make It by Peters and Lee. Oh, great. And I don't think you'd have got that one. No. The eighth was And I Love You So by Perry Como. Marvellous. The then there was the Back to Front by Gilbert O'Sullivan hmm. and the original soundtrack to the film That'll Be The Day. Wow. Sound, soundtracks <laughs> sold massively. They always did. It was David Essex, that, wasn't it? It was, yeah. R- Ringo was, a, was in that? He was. was Ringo there? was in that as well. Okay. I mean, I could do you a top ten Christmas number ones for the UK or the US, but it's so weird. I think it's just more interesting just to comment on this. Mm. So, like, the US top ten over Christmas of 1973, there's not a single Christmas song in there. Mm. Yeah. It was just coming up to the sort of golden age of British Christmas songs, wasn't it? Well, basically, yeah. So in, in, in America, you've got things like um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, the, the song is, ah, right. is in the charts, in the top ten. Time in a Bottle by Jim Croach, Ooh. 
I think that's how you say it. I love that song. I'm not sure. I love that song. It's a very melancholic uh, top ten, isn't it? Goodbye, Elric Road and that. Yeah. Oof. That's a brilliant Jim Crochet. He invented the the funny little (laughs) needles you use to make little (laughs) map things. No. Wow. He died young as well. Very sad. Yeah. Very good country artist. You'd you'd love Jim Crochet. Yeah. The, the Muppets do an exceptional version of Time in a Bottle, which is where I first heard it. It's <laughs> heartbreaking. Uh, Leave Me Alone, Ruby Red Dress by Helen Reddy. Hello, It's Me, Todd Rundgren. Ooh, smashing. The Joker by Steve Miller Band. Oh, yeah. Top of the World by The Carpenters. Then there's Chicago staple singers Barry, Barry White. And number one in America was The Most Beautiful Girl by Charlie Rich. Oh, Charlie Rich, yeah. I have no idea who Charlie Rich is. Uh, Oh, he wore a hat and had Lots white of hair. people wear hats. Is that, hey, did you happen to see the, the most beautiful, beautiful girl? Is that yeah. that one? I've no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, my so. parents had some Charlie Rich albums. Oh, yeah, cracking. Charlie he was Rich. just a bit of a, like a poor man's Glen Campbell. Yeah, like in the sort of pop country kind of yeah, uh, rich baritone. Well, let's contrast that chart with the UK chart. Which has definitely got Christmas in it. Slade? It does. Number one, Merry Christmas, everybody, yes. by Slade. Yeah, he, he, is Cha- he is Charlie Rich. Oh, hang on, sorry. sorry there to go you back go. To that's that's what I remember him looking like. Uh, yeah. Well, he's definitely wearing a hat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Looks I'm like sure a... everyone knows who he is, but I've Highway just... Highwayman. <laughs> There's one other big Christmas hit in the charts. Um, Wizard. Wizard. Yeah, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Uh, yeah, we're a year before, still a year before Shawadi Wadi's uh, Hey Mr. Christmas. <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> but then the rest of this chart is quite interesting. There's two glam anthems in there, one of which we probably don't want to talk about. Gary Glitter. Gary Glitter with I Love You, Love Me, Love. Oh, yeah, it's power ballad. Yeah. Delightful. And then uh, My Cuckoo by Alvin Stardust. <laughs> Hey there, something cat, come and sit on my mat, whatever it is. Great, yeah. great lyrics. There's a song by the, the New Seekers, uh, a song by uh, Marie Osmond, The Show Must Go On by Leo Sayer, Lamplight by David Essex, which I assume is from That'll Be The that Day. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Roll Away The Stone by Mott Roll the Hoop. Roll Away The Stone Push, push. I was, doing, I was doing the actions. If, if anyone uh, was if wondering, if only this was a video podcast, you would have seen some beautiful. I'm, I'm so glad really, it's, not. it's just glam after it's glam, a isn't it? Billy party on Saturday night. Oh, and number ten in, in the in the charts in the UK over Christmas was by Roxy Music. Oh, right. What could it be, Steve? Uh, the Strand, the Strand, or Street oh, no. Life? Street Life. Street Life. What does that go like? <sighs> doom, 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 doom. Yeah. Street life. Oh, oh I like that's that. That's pretty much it. It's sample Steve. What a life. It's really good, actually. One of my faves, that. Is that from. Doom, doom. Like the first do, 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 record do, 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 without do, do, Brain Eno? Yeah, that but it's still a little bit. Stranded. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Steve got very excited by rock music. Got quite heavy guitars it's by good, old good, good Phil Manzarana. These Excellent. fly spectacles, which we mentioned last time. Actually, again, <laughs> topical they are at the moment. <laughs> Early 70s. It's quite different, isn't it? The American mm. chart, totally untroubled by Christmas songs. Yeah. And the UK one starting to become what it's been ever since, basically, yeah. which is a, you know. The, uh, yeah, the American market, culturally bereft from lack of 
Slade. Yeah, definitely. No Slade, but plenty of Charlie Rich. Yeah. It was the 1973 sequin trade ban that, uh, <laughs> that Nixon had put into place that caused it yeah. to not happen. His greatest crime. Yeah. So oh, let's have a look at something to do with films then, because the last time I said, the first half of the year, 1973, basically no big well-known no films. films came out at all, really. So I've had a look at the top ten grossing films in the, the, the States and Canada. Any thoughts? What, was The Exorcist 1973? Yes, it was. Ooh, that was the second yeah. highest grossing film that year. Live and Let Die. Yep, that was mm. in the eighth highest grossing film of the year. Mm. Was Godfather 2? Was that 74? Don't know. Not on your list? Not on my list. Not that, first. I think that might be next next year's. I'm putting it on record that I'm not fussed on the Godfather films. Let it be known. Have you ever seen them, though? I've seen the first one. Well, the second one's... Uh, I think the first He's not going to convince me. Anyway. There we go. <laughs> Give us a clue. Okay. Well, there's a Disney film, an animated Disney animated film. Disney films. So don't go thinking it was Million Dollar Duck from 1971. Yeah, what about Jungle Book? Was that around then? No, but it utilised leftover painting sales. Ah, Robin Hood. Yes, Robin Hood. That damn sexy fox. <laughs> I used to really love the, the Robin Hood film. I quite like the yeah. Robin Hood film as well. But the thing with it, I watched the Disney Robin Hood film is the animation looks very much like the animation in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Mm. And I prefer bed knobs and broomsticks, which obviously is not animated all the way through. Mm. Well, I'll run down. The Sting was the highest grossing. Oh, all right. Yeah. Phenomenal film. Uh, then The Exorcist. American Graffiti. Ah, of course, yeah. Which I've that. never managed to watch all the way through. It's terrific. Well, I love the soundtrack album. Papillon. I've still never seen the film with that. No, yeah. I think that's probably very, very yeah. good. Yeah, it's, it is good, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed the book tremendously. Then The yeah. Way We Were, which is... Oh, yeah. Memories. <laughs> Magnum Force. Oh, oh right, that's yeah. a... Yeah, the Dirty Harry Dirty one. Harry one. I wouldn't yeah. have thought that would have been one of the top grossing ones, no, but, but I do like the Dirty Harry films. That is on television all the time at the moment, Magnum Force. Once a week, I reckon. Once a week? Yeah. I, I'm, that is <laughs> Regular no, as clockwork. That is no exaggeration. It... it it's on ITV After the four. first yeah. film, I kind of get all all the other ones blend into one. The one with the yeah. corrupt cops that are going out taking the law into their oh, own the, hands. Oh, the motorbike cops. Yeah. yeah. Ah, right. Oh, it's got, yeah, that's bell. got a brilliant end sequence on, like, the, uh, the, the boat in, in the dock, isn't it? No, they're in, like, a factory, aren't they? That's not, I'm pretty sure it ends <laughs> on a boat. See what I mean? No, no, they're, they're, in, a, they're in a factory, and he's, boat. like, hiding... It goes up and down like conveyor belts, stuff like that. The conveyor belt's the end of the first one. No, no, no. <laughs> like the mining facility by the lake with a bus... Look, we can't get into this dirty, Harry, the details. Safe to say, I think we've proven Morgan's point that actually after all, after the first one, it all becomes a bit of a, a mishmash in your mind. Certainly Guns N' Roses don't appear in Magnum Force. That's true. Film after that, Last Tango in Paris. We won't go into details Ugh. about that. Live and Let Die, Robin Hood, and then Paper Moon. Okay. Oh, yeah. One Hammer Horror film released in 73, which we didn't talk about last time because it wasn't in the first part of the year. That oh. might have been... Not Scar... What's... No, Scar... It's not Scars of Dracula. No, I don't think it's Dracula. 
Or is it Dracula? Oh, that what's, must what's be. What's the one after AD seventy-two? Then? Satanic rites. Satanic rites. Right. I couldn't. There we go. That took. That's the one where he's the one he dies in a bush. Yeah, yeah, he gets put, he does. He gets he gets pushed in a bush in London. Yeah, it's like after all all the 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 different ways that people have failed, failed to kill him, he, he falls in a prickly bush. Yeah, he's running like a corporation in London. That's right. Yeah, he got a, got a crew of motorcycle riding. Um, Denizens, hasn't he? I think. Yeah, it's. Let's it's be honest. The, yeah, the the list of Hammer horror, classic Hammer horror films. After that one, gets is quite short. Uh, the company was not long for the no. with the hits anyway. <sighs> as a carry on film. Oh. Again, we didn't talk about this last time as well to save it for the. I'm sure must, these must be running dry soon, wasn't they as well? Yeah, definitely. Magnum Force is on a ship, but I never realised that was a ship. Thank you. But it's like a factory. It's a big ship, I grant you that. All right. It's not a luxury yacht, it is a working vessel. Carry Carry on. on. Carry on to the bottom of the barrel. I don't know. Carry on. Past caring. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on long after you've run out of ideas. Carry on flogging this thing on the podcast. Carry on flogging (laughs) the Everyone stops listening. (laughs) It's actually Carry On Girls, uh, which I don't think I've ever seen, and no. it doesn't star Kenneth Williams or Charles Hawtrey. Isn't like Carry On Emmanuel quite soon? Didn't yeah, they release be, yeah. that? Oh, they did. God. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a for fans of horror, the film The Wicker Man and Don't Look Now were released as a like a, like a double feature wow. in the cinemas. Bloody hell, imagine good. watching those two films for the first time. Back to back. Back to back, you'd come out and be like, oh my lord. Yeah. Your mind's blown all over the yeah, place. No, I, I knew The Wicker Man was 1973. That's always. great. Yeah. I bet there's very few films that compare the quality of the original with the remake. I know remakes are often totally useless, Tried. but The Wicker Man, the, the, the gulf <laughs> between those films is astronomical. Yeah, it's like I'm, I mean, I'm, unbelievable. I'm one of the. I'm not a naysayer of the original Wicker Man, but it doesn't capture me as much as it, it's as it's captured many people's mm. imagination. Oh, I think it's but great. It does have that indefinable something, the the folk horror mm. notion of the time portrayed in that sort of film with that sort of production that makes it unique. Yeah, and yeah. the idea that you could remake it and hope to capture any of that aspect. It's it just seems you just look at it and go no that we would never get, but then money yeah money in it and Nicholas Cage, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> who's a force to be reckoned with yes in any definitely, circumstance definitely one way of describing him isn't it yeah yeah it's, all yeah is it all these decent films of these decent films have one word titles or do they have there's some like rule that you can work out whether it's a decent Nicholas Cage film or not because it's got certain number of words or letters in its title. I seem to remember somebody <laughs> running through it and it seemed to ring true, but I can't remember what it was. He's bonkers. <laughs> anyway, let's get away from Nicolas Cage because, you know, we think carry-on films will drag us down. If you start talking about Nicolas Cage, goodness knows where we're end We asked everyone to turn their minds towards the fantasy casting for the leading female character in the 87th Precinct, which is Teddy Carella. Oh, we did, didn't we? And we got some very good responses. Oh, good. But I would like to run down who's played her on screen already, just so you know anyway. 
and this is not a complete list because in some of the foreign adaptations of things, uh, some French and some Japanese things, I can't find... Obviously, the character names change quite a lot mm-hmm. and you can't necessarily find information about who's what yeah. parallel. I've done my best for most of it. So I will hold this up so the gentleman can see it and I will try and share these as well in, in some or some of them anyway. So we start with at the top with Anne Francis. She didn't technically play Teddy Carella. She played Teddy Baxter ah. in a one-off episode of a serial called Climax. Not a serial, wow. sorry, it's like a, an anthology series. I get you, yeah. Climax called The Deadly Tattoo, based on the con man. Mm. So I, I think I only know of Anne Francis from uh, Forbidden Planet, I think she's in. That seems uh, probably the most obvious one. But yeah, so she was technically the first Teddy Carella character on screen. Then we have the film of Cop Hater, in which uh, Ellen Parker plays her in 1958, with a nice little sort of pixie haircut there. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Jenna Rowlands in the TV series of the 87th Precinct, nice. who she only appears in about six episodes That's or something. That's true, yeah. Because they clearly didn't have a time to write the character well because of the length of the shows when you had to get a cop story out as well mm. and be the inclination because women in tv not very well written particularly at the time indeed we move on to 1972 and the film fuzz in which the brief appearance of teddy carella is played by neil adams in mm. a quite a nice little sequence in that film where she's at the hospital bed with uh, burt reynolds after he's been set on fire <laughs> But really, that she's entirely incidental. She, she could have been written out of that script and it mm. wouldn't have changed that story at all or changed the characterization, which is a real shame. In the French-Canadian film of Blood Relatives, Micheline Langtot, Ooh. 1978, plays Mrs. Carella. <laughs> and again, she's just in the background. This is uh, Donald Sutherland plays Carella in that one. Ah, she's just Donald in the house Sutherland. while he's reading a diary. Mrs. Carella. Donald Pleasance plays. Well, Donald Pleasance is in that film as Seriously? well. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Not playing Maya Maya. Both Maya's the sadly. Donalds. Yeah. It's a double Donald scenario. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of both Donalds, actually. Yeah, well, I'll lend you, or you'll get you to watch Blood Relatives in a couple of books' time. And you can suffer like I've suffered. <laughs> double Donald. We have here Ryoko Sakaguchi from 1980, who played the Teddy Carella character hmm. known as. Fumiko Terenishi in the 87th Precinct Naked City series in mm. Japan. Mm-hmm. There she is. Cool. We also have Narimi Arimori, who played Satoshi Morita, the character, in the Japanese series 87th Precinct My Town. Wow. In the 90s, when Ken Watanabe was the Corella character. Excellent. We also have, from the later adaptations, we have Diana Bray playing Teddy Franklin in the adaptation of Lightning. Mm-hmm. And she actually is a deaf actor, mm. which is appropriate. Yes. And then we also have uh, Andrea Ferrell playing Teddy in Heatwave and Ice as well. So, you know, it's it's mm. a mixed bag of, of actors who are all great in their own yeah. way, but not necessarily all Teddy Carella off the page, as it Definitely. were. Definitely, yeah. There's no sort of, like, particularly obvious defining characteristic immediately apparent... Um, from just looking at... uh... So what are Teddy Carella's defining characteristics then as they come off the page? She's deaf. Yeah. She's mute. 
She's got dark hair. She's got very she's dark hair. Raven black Raven hair. Raven black. She's very beautiful. Very beautiful. She is. Brown eyes. Yeah. But then we have got an unreliable witness here. Somebody who's in love with her. So. Yeah. So Corella We, we never know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> but she, I mean, she is an, a, an archetype character. Mm. She is the beautiful woman yeah. to end all beautiful women in, in the mind of the lead character and presumably therefore the author as yes. well, really. So some of the suggestions from our, our friends online. We have some big names here. Big names. Big names. Yeah. Demi Moore. Oh, wrong. Yeah. So that's from our yeah. friend Criminoli. Oh, right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, a big screen adaptation. I think she, I don't know whether she'd slum it on TV necessarily, <laughs> but she, you could have seen her in a big screen yeah, adaptation. I, I, our TV adaptation isn't slumming it. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Have you seen who's on Netflix uh, these days? Yeah. That's true, yes. It's, 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 it's the new cinema. And it was a good suggestion here from our friend Matthew Sullivan, which was Mary Tyler Moore. If you would have been making it at a time when Mary Tyler Moore was, and she was going to see someone sort of grow Crikey. with the character particularly, yeah, okay, she probably yeah. could have done very well. Yeah. Although, although an interesting point that he does mention is her production company, MTM, because hmm. I think she sort of had almost like a... Uh, Lucy, what's a face type career where she had a production company? Yeah, it was, it was Desilu with um, yeah, I love Lucy Absolutely, person whose yeah. surname totally escapes me now. Uh, uh, me too. Thanks, Morgan. Sorry. Thanks for getting, <laughs> having me back uh... there. But MTM Productions, Mary Tyler Moore Productions, mm. produced Hill Street Blues. So you can imagine <sighs> that McBain would have vetoed yeah, any casting. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, a very, very good suggestion, and one I'm quite keen on, is the uh, actor Marley Matlin. This was suggested by uh, Kevin, Kevin Mahoney. Oh, yeah. She is a deaf actor, mm. and she got an Oscar for the film of Children of a Lesser God. So mm. in 1987, and she's got a good look, quite an intense look there, really. Mm. Yeah, cool. I think she's a very good call. And I think Once Upon a Time, she definitely could have been. Absolutely. But this is fantasy casting. It can it be is. Once Upon a Time. Anne Hathaway, another suggestion from Kevin. I mean, she's all right. <laughs> she's all right, isn't she? <laughs> no, I've no problem with Anne Hathaway. She's just not Teddy Crowley. Doesn't Crowell sound around. like it. What? Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway's cottage. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be my immediate thought. But actually, no. she's just. I think she's actually got like quite a range, so I reckon. No, no, you know, she has definitely. I reckon she she could definitely turn her hand to to it, but wouldn't be me. But would you choice. put her up against a suggestion from Stella, which was Natalie Portman? Ooh, I mean, Natalie Portman's done all sorts of stuff, mm-hmm. and there's lots of photos of her looking quite brooding and intense with flat hair. That sounds really bitchy. I didn't mean that. <laughs> I meant hair sort of flattened down. <laughs> no, she's great, but again, I not no, no, not quite as good a suggestion as the one from our friend James Goodwin of Jennifer Connolly. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah, very good suggestion. A, see, she's I think she's just got something different about yeah. her. Yeah, I feel like she's got a bit more of the kind of a bit more of the, the personality that you'd yeah. you'd want somehow. Yeah. I, I don't know if Natalie Portman would have that. Well, they are actors. So they are like, actors. You know, like I, say, I suppose we can count them to yeah, act to some say. extent, but, yeah. you know. A suggestion from Hank Wellman of uh, Laura San Giacomo uh, from Sex, Lies and Videotape, I think it's probably the most famous thing she's been oh, in. okay. 
Oh, yeah. Yep. And yeah. my choice, Ooh. if we were making it now, and I did this, I mean, there's a certain amount of cynicism to this research because I did research deaf actors because I think if you were making it now, you would be a horrible person not to actually aim to get a deaf actor I, 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 in to play yeah. a deaf role. I was going to say that would be the first thing you'd try and do, isn't it? Uh, yeah. The, the, the verisimilitude that comes with somewhat, you know, casting someone in a role that they can bring that that mm. truth to, yeah. not just the knowledge of, say, sign language or whatever, but the true lived experience of, of that sort of thing. And there's plenty of actors capable of doing that as well. Right. But the one who, who cropped up in my little sort of bit of research was a, a lady called Stephanie Nogueras, uh, who's Puerto Rican, hence that surname. Mm. I think she comes from New York. And she's, I think she's about 29th, 30 years old now but she's fairly intense looking character there well in that photo anyway yeah so she's my choice if you were making it now who you would who you'd go for yeah okay what about you fellas any thoughts well i'd kind of forgotten that we were supposed to be doing it i I, I I, I, kind of forget (laughs) i did always have one person and uh i was trying to find a, a a particular photo of the correct era do you remember Sean Young? Sean Young. Do you remember her? She was in Dune. Uh, All right. Was she in uh, Blade Runner, wasn't she? Okay. Do you remember her? Hmm. I don't think she's been in anything for ages. Yeah, I remember her. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you. She's quite tall as well. I seem to remember, but. Uh... It's all right, we could put her in a trench. So yeah, that was one of my <laughs> suggestions. Tall actors but, go in a trench. But I do, I do prefer some of those suggestions actually. Yeah, I actually, I, I do think casting an actual deaf actor would be a really good good yeah. move. Although I'm sure that certain cynics would say that if it was that this project was actually happening in Hollywood, they'd just cast Scarlett Johansson instead. Yeah, um, which I think is often the case when they should clearly cast someone else. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's not really the forum to go into the sort of uh, nature of Hollywood casting and its no. complete weirdness with casting white actors in in roles that are different ethnic backgrounds it just baffles me that in this day and age that would even be a consideration so are we uh, how are we going to resolve this then fight lucille ball to, to, to... that's her name lucille ball that's what i was thinking yeah, uh, i don't know why i couldn't i'm not putting her forward for teddy carella <laughs> That'd be an interesting choice. It would be a take on the character. I think of all those uh, suggestions there, I think my uh, first choice... Well, my two favourite uh, would be those two. That's Marley Matlin and uh, Jennifer Connolly. Yeah, I don't know whether... I don't know what any think... common ground... Yeah, and I think Jennifer Connolly um, seems like a really good call, but uh, I, I'd like to go with your choice, Paul. I reckon that that's that's going to be good. You reckon Stephanie? Yeah. Stephanie Nogueras? Yeah. Well, and I think also we're already going to have quite a lot of like big industry heavy hitters in this. I think actually giving this high profile role to a deaf actor is going to be a really good thing for this this show. I think it's, it's the right way to go. Well, your call, Paul. Well, obviously I put my forward my choice of Stephanie Nogueras. So I think she's going to win out. Is she? Yeah, she's definitely going to win out. And that's who we're going to cast as our Teddy Carella. There we go. Another person. Yeah. So the real issue is, who are we going to cast next? And you know what? 
we've steered away from the squad room for some time, we really, haven't, haven't we? Dealing with the deaf man and Teddy Corella. I think we need to cast a detective next time. Ooh. But who? Sh- should we do Mayor Mayor and just... Should we just... Just try and get one of the main... Seize that. I think you need to get at least one of your yeah. leading men sorted fairly soon. To see yeah. It starts to... I think so. Amazing. That, that could be good. Well, there's certainly been a few representations of him on screen already. Is anyone going to be better than Norman Fell? Well, that's very true. Yeah, you see, yeah. yeah. Norman Fell, yeah. who I, I should just mention, well, I shouldn't really, but it just you occurred to me. Um, he crops up briefly as, as a reference in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, really? I, I, I was pleased to note. Oh, well, I, I, he popped up on screen, and I, I felt like jumping out of my seat and going, "That's <laughs> Norman Fell. He played Maya Maya." It's funny. I didn't, thankfully. I saw him in a film recently as well, and I can't remember what it was. So what a fascinating story that was! That was yeah. Yeah. great story. If I remember for next time, because we we'll, might end up talking about him. Yes, but I'll let do, you all know. Do your level best. Excellent stuff. Well, we're getting somewhere now, you know. I really feel we should be commissioning scripts and uh, thinking about where we're going to shoot this thing. Definitely. (laughs) Um, You know, Liverpool for for Isola, that that, that works, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's probably quite affordable, I'd have thought, for shooting. They do shoot a lot of of things in Liverpool and use it as a substitute for other places. They do. Well, Marvel does anyway. They use the docks quite a lot, don't they? Absolutely. So if we could set this all on some Victorian docks, <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> I think they've used some of the streets in town for like modern day, like, yeah, like America, because as long as you don't show any of the tops of the buildings, you don't really <laughs> No, it know gets how... used quite a lot, Liverpool, for, yeah. for different different filming things. And it has done for quite a long time, because mm-hmm. witness uh, Granada's Sherlock Holmes, if they had to go out on the streets, yeah, they yeah. very rarely went much further down the M62 than Liverpool, yeah. you know, it, to to shoot their outdoors scenes when they were out of the studio from Manchester. Mm. Anyway, that's by the by, really. It is indeed. We'll be back soon with our episode on the next book in the series, which is Bread. And you need to be thinking about who you're going to cast as everyone's favourite squadroom comedian slash cynic slash man who has to go and deliver lectures on how to deal with sexual assault in books, Detective Maya Maya. And until then, we're going to sign off like this. Goodbye. Goodbye. Fairly well. Well.